Welcome. Thank you for tuning in to the second episode of the Bessie podcast series, where we'll be interviewing nominees and winners of the New York City Bessie Performance and Dance Awards. My name is Suzanne Panamarenko, and I am your host, and I am pleased to be in the studio today with Larissa Velez-Jackson, who was our DJ at our after party in the 2017 Bessie Awards, and was also nominated for 2016 New York Dance and Performance Award for Outstanding Emerging Choreographer. Larissa Velez-Jackson is a New York City-based choreographer and multi-platform artist. She uses improvisation as a main tool for research and creation. Her practices yield dance, sound, speech, and deep humor, making contemporary arts critical discourse accessible to audience. LVJ has presented works at numerous New York City venues such as Bushwick Star, Roulette, New Museum of Contemporary Art, Museum of Art and Design, Dance Theater Workshop, Dance Space, American Realness Festival at Abrams Art Center, and the Chocolate Factory Theater. In 2011, she launched a song and dance collaboration with her husband, John Velez Jackson, called Yakas. Yakas most recently presented their two-act theatrical event at New York Live Arts in March 2017. Described in New York Magazine's blog, Bedford and Bowery, whether it's rapping, dancing, or throwing down in the wrestling ring, their work is high energy, silly, odd, and even chaotic at times, going from spectacle to cartoon to pop culture critique and back again. The year 2016, LVJ's 10th year of making experimental dance, she fulfilled on the famous Martha Graham's quote, it takes 10 years to make a dancer, or in this case, a choreographer. LVJ was nominated for a 2016 New York Dance and Performance Bessie Award for Outstanding Emerging Choreographer and was awarded the Foundation for Contemporary Arts Grant to Artists Award as well as residencies with Mount Tremper Arts with Yaquez, Gibney Dance Center's DIP, and Lower Manhattan Cultural Council's Process Space with Yaquez. Often employing the use of DJ programs for computer and handheld devices in her dance work, LVJ enjoys DJing for galas, parties, and special events as LVJJ. Parallel to her performance career, LVJ teaches mind, body, wellness, and fitness classes, teaching at 92nd Street Y and the West Side Y in Manhattan for 12 years, specializing in the older adult population. Her recent projects, Give It To You, stage with Yaquez, and Zapatografia, Shoeography at Bushwick Star, incorporated a cast of singer dance fitness students. Her next solo venture is a choreographic residency at the historic Harkness Dance Center at the 92nd Street Y, 2017 and 2018, where she will further the research of her interdisciplinary performance practice, the StarCraft Method. She will also be teaching performance at the new school in the spring and setting a piece on the students. Before we get started, I want to give a shout out to Spaceworks. Spaceworks is allowing us to record in their studio today. Dancers, musician, artists, anyone looking to further their creative practice, please check out Spaceworks at www.spaceworks.com. If you are interested in sponsoring Bessies or receiving a shout out like you just heard before, please contact us at podcast at Bessies.org. Again, that's podcast at Bessies.org. You've been listening to Alkalades by Yaquez, an art pop multimedia collaboration with Larissa and John Velez Jackson. To check out more of their music and buy some merchandise, visit www.yaquez.com. Thank you. Hi. 
Hi, I'm uh, Larissa Velez-Jackson, a choreographer, multimedia artist, performer, vocalist, teacher as well. We're happy to have you um, be the first handful of artists to be with the Bessies podcast series. Um, we're really excited to hear about your work, what you do, the New York dance scene, and anything you have for young artists to share with them and just to help them start their career along and to get them motivated. Cool. So yeah, so um, let's just start at the beginning. So where was your, the first time you started dance training or the first time you've heard of dance? Like what got you interested in the field of dance and performance and why, why performing? Well... I was three years old <laughs> in Jersey, uh, Newark, New Jersey, and I, I guess, was such a little ham and would sing and dance constantly. In fact, like my position was to be basically placed up on top of a little table. <laughs> I would like, you know, and I think my mom was like, I think we've got to enroll her in dance school because so there's an outlet for this like little marionette that lives in the house. Um, so yeah, and it started with ballet and slight tap um, and then jazz, you know, that I, as a, basically with ballet and jazz mm -hmm. during my entire childhood in Jersey. Oh, in Jersey. Did you come to the city at all or did you know anything that was happening here? Absolutely. Well, so my teacher, uh, and often these little schools, they're, they're lovingly referred to as Dolly Dinkle schools, right? Cute little schools. It was a little community school in Kearney, New Jersey. The teacher was uh, a Rockette. I don't know if she was a working Rockette. She may have been a former Rockette. Miss mm -hmm. June McCain was my teacher. And as she was pretty incredible because as she grew older and realized she always had her classes and always had her circle of students, but she really wanted to reach out and expand the teaching. Mm -hmm. So she hired like uh, cheerleaders on basketball team. Oh. She hired people that dance for New Jersey mm -hmm. Ballet Company or Garden State Ballet Company. So she really sort of outsourced mm -hmm. young professionals. So it was through the other teachers that came through and so many different kinds of teachers that came through. Um, and I was exposed to probably by the time I was a preteen was going to Broadway Dance Center mm -hmm. for Frank Hatchett's classes oh. and stuff like that. And yeah, I think even one of my traumatic experiences was about maybe 12 years old. Slam from, from Madonna's The Blonde Ambition Tour mm -hmm. was giving late night. It was like at 9.45 or something. Or maybe, you know, it appeared 9.45 to me at 12. It was probably like 8.30 or something. <laughs> I don't know what it was. It's not <laughs> late. It was the latest jazz class. Mm -hmm. Maybe it ended at 9.45. Uh, I took his class and was like the youngest kid in there and was pretty nervous to go across the floor. I like, kind of missed the five, six, seven, eight go across. And he yelled and was like, you don't know when to go across, you shouldn't be here. And then I remember some other like older people just patting me on the shoulder were like, it's okay, it, you're, you should be here, no problem. <laughs> Community. Yeah, exactly, so I was traumatized, but so yeah, I would, I would definitely go to Broadway Dance Center and steps, steps, as I became an older teen, like taking, uh, taking steps, ballet classes in the summer and stuff. And you also have like, you're really, really strong with a microphone so when did you shift because you're, you're so you're it's a natural for you to be with a microphone and you're so engaging so when did that start to slip into your life with dance thank you that thank you for the compliment and um you know actually um 
at an extreme, like very, very young age, like maybe four or five, I would sing. And I was kind of told by people, like, please don't. It's not very good. <laughs> Just, like, <laughs> stick with dancing. Yeah. And I kind of had this thing for all through... So basically, I don't know, somewhere really young, it just seemed like, yeah, maybe don't do that. And and I was actually quite terrified of using mm-hmm. my voice all through college. Like, wow. yeah, it really was a thing. And I was even very shy in, in school to speak and stuff like that. So I became one of those like real, like, it, it's all about dance language. I am silent. My mouth is closed. It is all about the body. And... Um, and as I started to sort of grow as a choreographer very early, early in my, you know, my making as a choreographer when I was here, uh, which was probably about like eight years after even graduating college, I graduated in 1998. So about eight years or so after that, finally stepped into this sense of, no, I want to make work. This is it. I want to make work. And mm. I was really obsessed with um, American Idol. Oh, so I was obsessed yeah. Obsessed with American mm-hmm. Idol. And I would find that during song, um, like I would just be moved to tears. Like sometimes, like it doesn't even matter what the singing was about, but a certain note, you'd hit a note and I'd be like, tears. And I felt like I had a real somehow affinity or sense of sound in that way. And it actually began with a yoga practice that was my first certification out of all the certifications that I have had mantra in it. So I feel like I discovered my voice actually in sounding during this very restorative yoga practice. It's probably one of the best ways potentially to learn how to sing because it's not actually about singing. It's really about breath and sound. So felt a comfortability and a confidence just about sound from that very healing practice. Simultaneous to that, was kind of obsessed with American Idol and reality TV shows in general. And in a solo that I created called Making Ends Meet, it was a challenge to myself to do something I was absolutely terrified about, which would be to actually sing something. Um, and I was definitely coming into my comedic voice at the time. Uh, it basically was a solo about a young artist just trying to figure like basically every time you create something you're just having to prove your worth really and especially as someone who didn't have in, in my case I didn't dance for other people like meaning like any big companies mm-hmm. or I definitely had people that I my dear friend Hillary Clark I danced with and we collaborated together and and kind of small things and Stanley Love yeah. actually one of the first people oh. that I appeared in mm-hmm. other work aside from my own was Stanley's yeah. work when I first came to New York so but for the most part if you if anyone was going to know me was going to be knowing me through my work Mm -hmm. and I always used my art pieces as a way to address how I was feeling about the whole thing and I definitely felt like as a super emerging artist like it didn't feel much different from like an American Idol experience Mm -hmm. like I've got to basically step up deliver and prove why the heck I'm even here and why would I be in front of Mm -hmm. you and why would you be watching anything I'm doing And so I likened it to that experience of this heightened sort of reality television show competition. And so uh, at the end of the piece, I sing. Mm -hmm. Um, And it it went really, I feel like it went super well in terms of it was was kind of a sad ballad 
but had loads of sort of comedy as well in it and became quite grotesque and very just like repetitive kind of wild guttural sounds by the mm-hmm. end. Um, but I found just this moment of like, holy shit, this was, this is the way I want it to be in relationship with audience. Mm-hmm. Like it, I remember very distinctly this feeling of when I would take a breath to sing the next thing, the audience would be in laughter and then they would laugh and then I'd take my breath and do it. And then there, and I felt like, oh my God, this union of breath, sa- again, breath and sound, but with people and their witnessing and the laughing, I was definitely hooked and kind of, I feel like the mic potentially became a part of what I do to such and such a greater degree mm-hmm. to the point where I guess 10 years later, my the, the band I created uh, with my husband, John Velez Jackson, Yaquez, like I hold a mic in my hand. The, it's like the mic is may as well be like glued to my yeah. hand. It's, you know, so it's, yeah. But it's kind of started as a dare to do something wow. that I felt I would, huh. was really bad at and ha- shouldn't be doing. And it's funny how, you know, life works that way. You started Yakas with your husband. Yeah. Um, you're like Twitta and Pappy John. Yeah, Poppy. Poppy John. <laughs> Poppy. Poppy. <laughs> do you? How do you prepare for one a show with him? Like as different? Is it improvisation? Because I know you're strongly based in improv. Is that the same with your vocalizations? You know, that's uh, it's interesting. Um, Yakas, I guess now has been happening for. A good amount of years and it's it's changed so much over time mm-hmm. but at first you know it started very similar I feel like the best things kind of start when it's it's really from this place of authentic either like longing or frustration or that dare mm-hmm. you know like in, in the case of the singers like the dare because it was something I felt I'd be so bad at I must this this is the best position to be in with Yaquez I was completely residency-less for uh, like a couple of years. Um, actually, even let's say after that Making Ends Meet solo, mm-hmm. it was like this sort of open, open space. And John and I, newly married, were at home and wanting to be creative and feeling, and for me, I was like, well, I don't need a freaking resident. I don't need to be somewhere to make something. Mm-hmm. I just want to make. Um, and he, totally musically creative a writer had all of this he was like you know I want to make raps for you and so it was something that we really started in our home and was not improvisation based at all because Mm -hmm. he as a writer was like writing long long verses and I would look at them and just figure out how I wanted to say them wow so maybe the improvisational aspect would be I'm looking at this piece of paper for the first time and there's a beat, which either, for our first album, mostly he created all the beats, or a lot of them for the most part. And I would just give, you try it, like a one one try, like read through the thing and see what it would be like. And in that process is the editing. And, mm-hmm. you know, I would sort of change things. And, okay, this needs more syllables, this needs less, let's do that, let's do this. I would come in and add to the song. So it was very much a collaboration of back and forth. And I guess maybe the improvisation would, would be in the first ways I would try to deliver the song. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So, yeah. And then how do you feel like the vocal improvisation is different from your movement improvisation that you do? 
you had the method, like this um, StarCraft method. StarCraft method. Yeah, yeah, how you created that. Well, the thing is, is that, so let's say, I think I can almost answer both questions, or the first question and the, the next question was, um, over time, through the years, it became, the edges became much more blurred mm -hmm. between the processes that I was doing, let's say, in my dance improvisation and Yakez. Um, so like seven years later into Yaquez, there's actually loads of, in the last show that we did at New York Live Arts, there are long sequences of John and I live mixing Yaquez music mm -hmm. in the same way that would happen in my Starcraft Method pieces. Mm -hmm. Um, so we live mix ourselves. Um, he's riffing on like iPad keyboards and other little devices. So kind of some of the ways that we would create songs at home, which had an improvisational element, you know, has, is now being brought to the stage more. Mm -hmm. And what I hope for Yakez sort of moving forward is to really sort of take the characters and allow them to behave in very unscripted ways on stage and sort of like potentially on social media and stuff like, oh, you know, creating yeah. a lot of like video skits and weird social media campaigns around our characters and stuff like that. And that will all be to me very improv based because I can't imagine, I, I would just never sit down and script. Sit, sitting down and scripting something is not really an, an interest of mine. Mm -hmm. um, so, so yeah, I feel like there's been a lot more and more improvisation sort of built into the Yakez world and, you know, more in the future. For sure, like the StarCraft method stuff, the more just raw improvisational work that I would do in my dancing, um, also is super interdisciplinary. Mm -hmm. Like it's absolutely, dance is a fundamental way in which we navigate these other mediums in a way or it's always coming from the lens of a dancer and how the dancer would maybe track events in their own body or track space and mm -hmm. track time um, but the dancer is potentially going to apply that to speech to song to interacting with computer programs what was the process like of finding your voice and being able to be like okay i'm doing this and expanding because what I hear from even younger students of mine is like an interest and then kind of a wall, mm. you know, of not being able to either fear or how to, how you, like, what was a big factor in you pushing mm. forward with yourself as an artist? Like, was it a person or a, a study program or? Uh, I'll say, you know what? I believe that those walls and you hit them all the time, constantly, like right? uh -huh. that, that's the thing that happens. Um, was that I made the work address the wall, always. Mm -hmm. Like, it was almost like, well, what is there to make work about except the thing that's stopping you? Mm -hmm. Wow. And the work almost, to the point where literally there's nothing that should be addressed other than that. So the work takes care of it for you. Wow. So it's like, yeah, going back to like the terror of using my voice and speaking and being heard is exactly what I must do. The, the frustration over after making that solo, wishing that I was invited to a show or a residency immediately and having not been for like two years, that frustration was poured completely into the creation of a home project with, with my husband in our little home studio mm -hmm. and you know and 
it's almost like every every opportunity for like something stopping you or the thing that really made you feel actually like worthless and awful was exactly what I should be doing. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, it even was the reason I will say um, for creating improvisational structures. Mm-hmm. Like for me, um, I knew that I had to, I wanted to create with people other than myself. Let's say when it was like, okay, I don't want to, I made a solo. I don't want to make a solo again. I want to bring other people into the room, but yet I can't afford to rent the space and bring people into a situation on like a weekly basis. This is not even paying that. At the time, there wasn't even a thought about paying them. I mm-hmm. couldn't, I couldn't even rent the space very often. Mm-hmm. So I was working with structures where, so I'm going to create parameters where 10 people plus myself can like do something. We only have to meet three or four times. But yet we're going to create uh-huh. a 30-minute piece of theater because I'm going to work within these improvisational parameters I create. So that working that way was, was a necessity. Uh-huh. Um, and I remember I would structure my rehearsals like, well, no one, anyone who's going to be in it doesn't have to take off work. We're going to all make sure it's times where we aren't working so that it's not a, no one's at a financial loss by doing it. You know, I'm really uh-huh. like addressing all of these real things. And it made the work happen. You know, in a way, what became really weird was so working with that for a couple of years, like when the Starcraft method was first being made and Yakez was first starting, it was a couple of years of that kind of stuff. And then I landed in 2012, a movement research artist in residence, where all of a sudden I had two years of dedicated space and a stipend mm-hmm. like to make something. And my first question was like, what the heck am I going to make? Everything I've been making is about not having this resource. Yeah, like, like not yeah. having this resource literally created all the things that got me here. Mm-hmm. Now what do I make? Instead of like ignoring that question or skirting that question, I dove like deeply into that question. And I was like, well, I've got to make then a methodology that, that tests this improvisational structure, that pushes it further, that develops it further. Thankfully, it was myself and at the time only uh, Talia Epstein and Tyler Ashley. There were three of us. I could afford it. Yeah, I made it small. Mm-hmm. Um, and for two years, we freaking together and uh, under my direction, like hacked away at this practice mm-hmm. till it became something I, I feel like was pretty solid. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so it was always like answering the question of, okay, what, what now at this place? And I find that's what becomes extremely terrifying. It, that gets more terrifying, I will say. Yeah. As, absolutely. Mm-hmm. As your career advances, as opportunities increase for you, the pressure, like those kinds of questions get worse. Um, I had probably garnered a, a great award, the Foundation for Contemporary Art Grant to Artist Award. I had my first panic attacks like the year mm-hmm. that I got that award. Wow. Yeah. So it's mm-hmm. a real it's a real thing. And it, mm-hmm. because it's like, okay, well now yeah, it's always like, okay, all these questions led me to the place I am and now what? And so then that that you the ground like shifts underneath you as your career develops and, and as resources increase. So it all just kind of gets worse. Yeah. So yes, young artists, <laughs> get it together now. That's amazing. Because get just, used to it. Yeah, yeah. Get used to it. Yeah, that's what it sounds like, getting used to the things that being there. Yeah. And in a way. I would say, so then back to your original question, literally, um, 
letting the work address it. Like for me, I make space for the work to be about how I feel about making the work mm-hmm. or how I feel about being in the room or how I feel about being in my body. You know, going through injury, various like injury patterns throughout all of this career activity, the work really allows me to address injury as part of why it's interdisciplinary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that's... if my knee is so jacked up I can't get on and off the floor, then you better believe I'll be sitting and speaking about all of it and I'll be at the laptop doing sound and someone else will be maybe more physical, but there's a way for me to still engage with rigor with the work around what my body can and can't do. It's always about that. Wow, it's amazing. It's like you, you are, it's like what it sounds like to me is you give the work, you've given yourself um, no way to get out of it in a way. Absolutely. That's a great, it's exactly that. Mm-hmm. I feel like in that's a pure way of thinking about the improvisation, how we approach it. It's like if you're so tired that you really can even barely stand, well, then you're going to have an incredible lying on your back. Yeah, <laughs> like solo. solo. <laughs> <laughs> totally. You know, like, it's going to be amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and so, I mean, these very things are the reason that I feel it was also such a natural progression to working with the seniors who I teach. Mm -hmm. It's exactly the same concepts. It's like, bring your body, come as you are. Yeah. You know, as Kurt Cobain, I guess he wrote that lyric, I'm not sure. Um, Oh, you know. I don't know that either. Yeah, come. Yeah, you know, so, uh, yeah, it's like, bring, bring your body as it is. And the work is going to support that. Mm-hmm. So it's all it's all super, super interrelated. And, you know, it gets described in different ways sometimes. Failure aesthetics is, you know, a kind of a catchy way that I talk about that. And, and that also speaks to the humor part of it. Mm-hmm. But it's like, yeah, completely. If you, I mean, I've performed shows on crutches and with boot. And I wouldn't suggest doing that. I don't think the me now would, would do that right now. Um, but... The work has been tailored to support wherever yeah. you're really at. How do you view the audience as part of your work? Mm-hmm. Like, do you, when you are creating, are you thinking of them almost as another cast member? Yeah, I would say definitely. Well, um, I think back then especially, um, I've had a relationship to, gosh, I haven't even thought about that piece in so long, but yes, that was maybe one of the first or... God, I can't even remember the order of things now. But potentially, I always felt like I couldn't begin without addressing the elephants in the room, which were all these eyeballs staring at you. It's kind of like, you know, again, like completely acknowledging the obvious. Mm -hmm. And somehow it's also so, there's something so liberating and generous about doing that. It's like when you, I can't just sort of gloss over it. Mm -hmm. So there's like, it feels like it creates... um, a space of more exchange of also my own comfortability in doing, you know, in doing it, sort of leveling the playing field a bit. And I think at the time or earlier in in my making, I really did feel like the audience was another cast member in many ways. Um, in the so in the solo making ends meet that I referred to, I would walked up and basically said to the audience, "Don't hurt the performer." I like walked all through and sang very close to people about not hurting me, but at the same time it's ridiculous because I'm like in their face like singing in like really high tone. Yeah. You know, I loved it. You know, there's <laughs> that and um, and then Starcraft Method really begins this a similar way 
it's it's just about like somehow shaking up because I think I feel like there's this you know we can sort of like become kind of like plastic when we just step into these societal roles or something it's like the audience sits down they assume this no matter what no matter who people are you're going to assume this thing of okay I'm ready to watch and then the performer comes out and there's this pressure for the performer to mm-hmm. deliver or maybe it's always that I'm so keenly aware of this like pressure on the performer and I want it to be exposed mm-hmm. and dealt with and made that that to be made a material of in a way so um so yeah being able to address the audience and sort of start on my own terms but I also do feel that it, it, it's a, it's an act of generosity that can soften the space between us uh yeah yeah nice that's great yeah and I would say I don't consider let's say the audience like cast members anymore I feel like maybe in my own sort of like growing up in maturity I'm much more I think performing just for like so many years really have starting to accept this feeling of like just truly how different everyone really is and like I don't know different pieces have garnered different reactions from people so I've experienced a myriad of positions that audience have with it especially with yakes there's a lot mm. of there's a there can be loads of ambivalence with yakes mm. and understanding like are we mocking something what is it what are we doing who are we and people that like often don't accept um and so how to be there staring right at people who are giving back various degrees mm-hmm. of like acceptance or some people loving it too other people hooting and hollering and freaking out um but I, I, I'm trying to, I'm always aware of my relationship to how their reaction to it is affecting me. And in some piece, particularly in StarCraft Method, we were talking a lot about like actually having loads of empathy for the audience. Like the, the audience member that's like giving you so much like bad looks <laughs> or like I looks know. so miserable or just whatever. It's like, how do we what about like behaving toward that person energetically with complete empathy like mm-hmm. and shifting it um so yeah i feel like it's it's changed it changes depending on what the heck is you know is going on um but that relationship is always something that's in question i feel like for for comedy yeah. yeah and that was a another question i had is like when was the point um I don't even know how to ask this correctly, but when did you realize that you were extremely like comedic, like can use your comedy to really be a part of your work? Because your work is very humorous, and it, even all the reviews. Like, when was that moment? When you're like, Hold, you know, and then you can kind of grow that. University of the Arts. When I was there, the the late '90s um, was a period in dance where there's loads of real acrobaticism, like. Like the like move that modern dancers were doing were always like the one arm handstand, oh. your leg flies, and you, you know, and yeah. it was like or like people's interpretation of contact improvisation too was mm-hmm. like super like twirl your body on someone's shoulder and spin around and come down like this is, and I am really non acrobatic. And so, like, being a, being a very young dancer stepping into, I, I think it was, like, it was 
probably a body type thing because actually I freaking love ballet. (laughs) I love ballet so much, but it's so clear that ballet is not, I'm not for it, let's say, on so many (laughs) levels. I mean, even that my feet are really long and my toes are really long. Like, this point shoes were not going to happen in these long boat feet that I have. So, and, <laughs> and I'm not a commercial dancer, per se. So, like, even though also I really love jazz, it's not going to be a jazz dancer. It was almost like I, like, came to modern and contemporary dance just because there was nowhere else that would have me. And then, of course, I have a kind of a wild sort of punky eclectic aesthetic just as a person so that was the place for me and so that place at the time when I was super young dancer to me the only thing you could do is be super acrobatic and I wasn't Mm -hmm. so immediately I feel like to find my own voice as a performer was to acknowledge my like ineptitude at what I'm supposed to be and in in that moment was completely my comedic voice. Mm-hmm. You know, wow. it's like, yeah. I'm going to do this. I want to be here. Uh, I also, I actually think it's funny because maybe more confident as a humorist in relationship to dance than as a dancer in dance. Mm-hmm. And I think it's taken me probably along my career of making work and dancing in it, where now I actually accept myself as a dancer. I wouldn't even call myself a dancer for so long and still sometimes have issue Mm. with it, which is sad. So, but now I feel like, so in a way it's the opposite of what you're saying. Like, I only feel comfortable that I'm a dancer, like now. Wow, yeah. So it's kind of like the reverse in a way like that I was like well this is what I can bring to it and I'm going to make work that allows me to be the dancer that I am comfortably um, and be able to talk about these things mm-hmm. and who are like major influencers like do you have family that are artists or performers no, or no mm-hmm. not at all I had I was blessed with um, my mom was a single mom who was super supportive and realized like she wanted her daughters. I have a sister, Stephanie. She wanted her daughters to just be well-rounded mm-hmm. and be happy. And dance gave me so much. It was clearly something I was so like passionate about that she, you know, she was like, "Well, you just, I guess, you got to keep doing this because you're like really, really into it. As long as it doesn't mess up your grades, that's it." You know, so yeah. it was, it was kind of like I had the support to mm-hmm. pursue it. Um. And just super creative, like open, loving family that just fostered something that clearly was something in me that had to be fostered, Mm -hmm. you know. But there wasn't an example of um, of anything like practice or or career path, you know, at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and in many ways, even. I think maybe that's why even as a dancer, I constantly, maybe this is why I'm interdisciplinary, but I looked toward other media for examples. Mm-hmm, that like, makes, yeah. Yeah, like I was obsessed with silent film and obsessed with, um, yeah, vaudevillian comedians and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, inter- and then do you have any, um, like any teachers you felt like were really influential? Yeah, I mean, at University of the Arts, Ruth Andrian, Mm -hmm. who was a a Paul Taylor soloist. I don't know, from from the very early company. 
like a really amazing, amazing, another person who came to dance, I mean, I didn't come to dance late, but I feel like a real renegade in terms of coming to dance very late in her life and like swooped up because she's just a, like a genius. Ruth, I feel like she did Taylor two director now. Yes. Yeah, she's yeah. great. I've taken class. Her classes are so amazing. That's a zany, hard, a zany <laughs> poetic person, yeah. and the class is hard. So she was someone that I feel like coming from such this special, pure. She's such a special, pure soul mm -hmm. who taught with this incredible level of imagery and poetics, and how she was putting together what the heck this her body and that work uh -huh. is. Um, so she was super, super, super influential. And then as well as just, yeah, so like studying with her for the four years and just consuming the work of artists in other media, uh -huh. mediums. What, what is, do you have like a go-to medium that you really I like I mean, at the time, uh, actually it was like, f uh, at the time it was really film. Um, and comedians like film uh, Jerry Lewis, like old Jerry Lewis movies, Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton, you know, old comedy, mm -hmm. uh, old physical comedy, Jackie Chan, uh, which is probably why I think I have such an affinity for wrestling now. I feel like I've sort of come back in my obsession with wrestling, which is now the, because of my husband, John, mm -hmm. is completely obsessed with wrestling. Um, I feel like I have this framework to really look at that from absorbing so much physical comedy um, and music, music, uh, jazz, jazz music, free jazz, bebop, jazz, and those artists working in these ways that are, it's a real uh, openness to the absurd mm -hmm. and to spirit in mm -hmm. terms of jazz, this like swinging spirit, but yet going into really dissonant places. I, I feel like something about, I've always been trying to create an equivalent in dance for these things and other mediums that I'm looking at. Mm -hmm. And then when you invite, like when you have dancers that you've been working with, or you, um, how, how do you get them into your world? Like how, well, how do you guide them into the work that you do, which is, um, you know, your own methodology at this point? Um, I would say... One of the shifts that happened for me in working with ensembles was in some of my earlier stuff, I felt like, um, or actually, I won't, a shift from the earlier work to the more de developed methodologies mm -hmm. that I started to create was that I s wanted the ensemble to operate with the amount of agency I operate with in my solo stuff. Mm -hmm. So, if I can like rephrase it, my goal was for the entire ensemble to operate with absolute agency, but yet with a really clear aesthetic framework, and that being kind of like my sort of aesthetic stamp. Mm -hmm. So when you look at it, it's like oh, I'm looking at I'm looking at a work of Larissa's, but yet I'm also looking so clearly at these individuals being truly themselves. So I really felt I had to create something where like folks could operate with maximum amount of agency, where there's equity between all of us, you know, and to bring out, I don't even necessarily require that humor happens mm -hmm. from myself or anyone else. 
But I think when you're dealing with a lot of these things, humor is inevitable. And then, of course, with the way the beautiful universe works, I attract toward me. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, yeah. oh my God, you're actually so funny. And you're actually so funny. And the collaborators are so freaking funny. And then there's like, you know, a funny people in a room making something. And it's just, I mean, if anything, I just want to be in that magic part of the magic of that happening mm-hmm. so but but humor is never a requirement and I don't ever require it of myself either mm-hmm. it's a byproduct you just did a new piece now called a zapatography is yeah, that yeah yeah mm-hmm. oh and it, it, it's a solo first and is yes. it moving into a big piece in December it's it's will be we're looking at and it's you know I don't know it's I don't know if these things aren't announced yet but yeah, it should okay. it should be happening okay. it should be mm-hmm. it should be remounted in New York in mm-hmm. next fall and yeah it is a it's a conceptual I consider it my my attempt at dry minimalism as a yeah it's sort of yeah so it's a, it's a very specific solo that's pared down um, but at the same time it's it's with it's witnessed by a group of seniors uh, and then the piece opens up and shifts to another form of conceptual work that's much more community based mm-hmm. so it's kind of it's it's sitting two forms of to me conceptual theater next to one another and um, commenting on all the social implications of that yeah oh yeah because you did your I like so you teach senior at um, movement right and I like yeah. when did you start incorporating them in your work I teach it's funny because I don't teach straight dance classes I mm-hmm. teach fitness so okay. so but it's dance based aerobics and Pilates based and functional movement based stuff um and I've been doing that probably for the same amount of time that my whole choreographic career has been happening. And it was only until, I mean, it was the in preparation for the big Yakez piece because it was on the New York Live Arts stage, which to me is just such a big cavernous like, yeah. platform. It's such a just big space. It is a big space, yeah. yeah. That I thought, I want Yakez to have a chorus and I want to have a chorus of seniors. So I never do anything without researching it well. That's part of, I think, the, the practice-based forms that I work in, that it took me being an aerobics instructor for many years and doing little invitations, little things here and there with seniors outside of class, sort of building up this thing and sort of building up for a few years until finally uh, it was actually as part of the Movement Research Air that we did a Judson. So it was like, you know, a small Judson was like our first like showing together. And we had a, another one during an APAP um, at Hostos College. Mm-hmm. Called Hostos College. It's like a Cooney College. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And um, so like, I really, I never like to do anything where it's just like, let's try this now once. And, you know, that's not the mm-hmm. way I... I really want something to be lived in mm-hmm. and developed and known. So I would say I probably worked for about three years in like light residency mode with small groups of seniors and putting on smaller pieces, feeling feeling how it went. It, it was everything that I've done was pretty much like a proposition, like if this goes horribly wrong, I'll never do it again. And it generally doesn't go horribly <laughs> I'm, I'm lucky. I'm knock on wood. Yeah, Nothing right. has gone horribly wrong yet. 
Um, yeah, so leading up to then finally larger residencies, Gibney Dance Residency, we had a residency, Yekez, at um, Mount Tremper Arts. And that was the first time, like, first of all, even being away with company members, somewhere away, but then we were also with four of the senior cast members, wow. too. And that was amazing. It was totally amazing. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. To to be spending, for, for me, who's been um, teaching folks of that, that generation for a long time, but actually, like, living with and having breakfast with and having, like, after a performance party, like, drinking and giggling, like, late into the night. I was literally like, these are the kind of parties I want to have. Mm-hmm. This is the kind of life I want to be living. <laughs> I want to have this mix of voice and experience. I want to be hanging out with... And there was, you know, super young young folks there, too. And so... Um, so yeah, it's just like slow steps, but it probably took about three years of residency time mm-hmm. and a sprinkling of smaller performances before feeling like, okay, we we know how this operates, I know what to do, and now like, yeah. Mm-hmm. You're ready. That's really cool. And then they're, that they're involved in the new your new show that will be happening as well? Yeah, so and your so students? then- students? Yeah, so Zapatrigraphia happened uh, September. Mm-hmm. That was about five months after the Give It To You stage piece, the larger Yakez piece. Um, and that was the first time I worked with students that I've never met before. It was like a, and for me, it was a chance to be like, okay, I'm gonna go into a community, give my little lectem about experimental dance, engage with people with some classes, and then make a piece, or, you know, make the piece together in many ways with that piece. Um, and it was meant to be a, for me to practice, like, what would this be like to go into another city and engage with people I don't know? Be it ideally in some kind of touring mm-hmm. situation, that would be what I would do. Um, and it worked really well, and it was an incredible cast of six seniors from the uh, Ridgewood Bushwick Senior Citizens Council, uh, particularly the Stanhope Senior Center, which is near Bushwick Star. Um, and so, yeah, mm. it was it was really interesting. It was definitely different, too, because most of the pieces, I've really known folks for a long time. Mm-hmm. And there's something really different with having a steady, sort of almost daily engagement with people for years and making a show and actually just coming out of nowhere. So uh, there were some different challenges to that, but also super exciting. And then the, the piece uh, that'll happen next year will hopefully bring back that original cast and then working with new seniors from the Senior Center associated with that theater. That's so awesome. I yeah. love that. That's really, really cool. Um, and then a very vague question. What does the New York dance and performance scene mean to you? And where do you see yourself moving forward within it? Wow, the New York dance and performance scene, I feel like is such a it's just such an incredible community that unfortunately I also feel like I don't interact with enough because part of my the way I'm able to make my work is to completely cross subsidize with teaching it's 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 a big part of what I do and who I am which is also why it's in the work but so I don't know there are moments where there I feel this kind of pride about being a New York artist that's also a New York working person. You know, I have this sort of badge of honor. Maybe it's, I don't know, but I'm on the subway at like 8 in the morning to teach my 9 o'clock class, and I'm like, I'm an artist. 
I'm a New Yorker. I'm an artist. <laughs> you know, there's... Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know why I'm saying that necessarily, but I feel like there's a lot of folks who start here and they're not here and they're like away and they're in Berlin or something yeah, or like France it. somewhere. Yeah. Like I'm a New York based artist. And then I'm, when I'm on my subway at 8 a.m. with my soul being deadened, I'm like, I'm a New York artist. Yeah. <laughs> totally. I don't know. There's something, I don't know why I'm saying that, but there's just, there's a moment of that. Like to be here, mm-hmm. for me to be here and be making work, I often call myself a, a working class artist. It's like, that's how I'm able to do it. So there's, it's like the blessing and the curse of it all, mm-hmm. in a way. That's kind of a separate issue. The, and I guess maybe I'm even saying like I don't feel like I participate enough is the way in which I participate often. Like there's just so many incredible, you know, I'm spying on Instagram about the incredible things going on at Dance Space Project. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the like tribute to Trisha Brown and like all of this stuff about like the lineage and a lot of times there's all these things going on and I'm like, there they are. They're still just in the history book for me mm-hmm. because I can't participate. I can, I can barely hold it together to make what I make and teach what I teach and then like try and take care of myself. Yeah. That's it. There's literally nothing more unless, um, and not at this age, you know, mm-hmm. maybe 15 years ago, I could burn those candles at both ends and actually feel like it was a, a blood sport or something yeah. like that. <laughs> you know, but not now. Now I'm like, whoa, if you're really going to be in this game, you got it. So there's something, I don't know, there's something about that for me. I don't know if it's off topic, but I don't think it is. That's Mm-mm. what being a New York artist feels like to me. That there's a lot of different ways that people navigate doing it. Yeah, definitely. And at different ages, it means different things. Mm-hmm. For me, it's like a lot of times it's knowing that there's such an incredible community out there. And I try to see what I can and participate when I can. But a lot of times it's it feels like it's a story that's still in a history book. But it's a history book that's happening now. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and mm-hmm. I also have to be okay with that. Yeah, like that's true. You know, it's, that sounds exactly what someone coming here would be going. It's like the same thing with me too. Yeah, it's like it's uh, there's so much going on here. It's hard. So if someone entering the city, like you know, I have so many friends that have moved here from college, and and I went to college here, but um, how to navigate where you fit into the dance scene? Mm-hmm. You know, is there any any like how did you find your space and where you are? Is it just kind of by being a part of you or did you, you know what I mean? Like you if know, you're entering the scene, like where's a good place to go in a way? Like not like a record, like go to dance movement yeah. research, but where how, where's a good way to kind of get to know yourself in the scene? Mm. Mm. You know, I think it's just be steady and do your things because inevitably there are so many incredible there's a network. There's a network that, like, we all interconnect in ways. Uh, there are some parts of the network that are like, you're so strong with this sort of part of it, and then you're, you know, lightly aware of this part of it. And, you know, I feel like when I first decided to make when I was here, um, I was living a very kind of hippie lifestyle where I 
bartended in Queens, kind of bikini bartended a couple nights a week, made some cash, and spent the rest of my days at Rockaway Beach, just like playing frisbee mm-hmm. <laughs> all day. <laughs> uh, that was in the summer, you know. Like, <laughs> um, you know, I don't remember what happened in the winter, but I only re- it's like I only remember the summers. Um, and slowly, I was like, you know what, I want to start making stuff. And thankfully, my dear friend Hillary Clark was like, come into the studio with me. We're getting in the studio. So it was just an invitation. She was like, I don't care what we do. I'm paying for the studio space and we're going to improvise. And maybe we'll make a little something and who knows, you know. So it's just like, and so I did that. And then when I started making my own stuff, it was actually in the burlesque scene, like neo-burlesque. And I was like... Of course, this makes so much sense. Vaudeville, comedic voice, like little vignettes, the perfect size, do do do, you know, and, and I started that way. And I actually ended up, is the first time in terms of audience that I, I after a year, I hated the audience. Hated mm. it. Couldn't stand it. Because I kind of realized no matter what I would do, no matter what level of wit or something, it was always like, you got to get the pasties to come out or else. And I was like, mm, I'm not feeling that. I want to be able to like, and I was like, oh, so you're ready. You're ready to choreograph. Uh-huh. I'm ready for abstraction. I'm ready for something that might last 15 minutes or a half or I don't know. But this, the, the box of it, and this was just, you know, nothing against it, but this was just my take. I was like, I can't. So thankfully, um, actually it was Trajo Harrell saw a, a little, oh, there was an man. evening yeah. of burlesque. It was actually the Hot Festival at Dixon Place. So I don't know what brought me to like applying, but I was like, I have burlesque vignettes. I'm going to apply for the Hot Festival. And I, I was paired with Victoria Liebertor in an evening. And because I was so used to the burlesque scene, I just came with one number, like my one like five minute number because I was used to that. And then I learned, it was like, no, this was like kind of a shared evening. You could like, she did like four of them and I did my one. Because I just wasn't like aware, mm-hmm. and but thankfully Charter Howard was there, and he was like, loved it. It was it was a dying swan piece that I did, and um, and was like, I'm email Amanda Lulaki from from MR, and you you've got we've got to get you something, and so I did, and that's I had my first like Judson show that way, so it's little, it's just like taking your steps Mm -hmm. and not being afraid to be seen truly seen like see yourself see what you want let others see it and that's how just the network works it's like then from that one little thing like other people like hey we like that we gotta apply for this do that and literally just like one foot in front of the other just being there and taking the steps it's just always been that way Mm -hmm. so What's, what's the way to start? Mm-hmm. For me, it was showing stuff. Okay. You know, it wasn't going to be, it wasn't going to be taking class and auditioning. Yes. It was going to be under- making. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, I'm just going to make, I'm going to make little, and, it's gonna, and I'm going yeah, to make five minute, I'm going to make 15 minute, I'm going to make half hour, I'm going to make hour, and then I'm going to make, or, you know, like, it was literally just trying to make. Mm-hmm. This is your moment where you can, like, if you want to plug yourself. Check out my website, com. You can sign up for my email, 
like to subscribe to my emails and I'm really good at if I have a show or you know something a performance happening I let people know via email I think it's a great way so you can sign up for it uh, Yakez also has a website yakez.com so it's specific all things Yakez um, and I'll be performing next at uh, 92nd Street Wise APAP showings I'm a, I'm a resident artist there right now and that's in January, I think 12th and 13th or 13th, 14th. I don't remember exactly, but get on my email list. If <laughs> You'll and, know. And uh, I, I kind of, I process the work that I'm making uh, in Instagram a lot. I create some multimedia content that's sort of like, I feel like keeps you sort of inside the process. It keeps me inside the process in different ways too. So you can follow me on Instagram as well. Larissa Twitter. Uh, is my handle, L-A-R-I-S-S-A-T-W-I-T-T-A. Twitter is my Yakez name. So I think that's another... I feel like people who do follow me on Instagram feel like they are very much like peering in on the work and they appreciate it. So, so yeah, I'd love to grow that family. Whoa, wonderful, <laughs> wonderful. And anything else... Um... The, uh, Bessies, thanks you for doing this interview. Thank you so much. Well, it's so you, nice Bessie. to have you part of the Bessies like crew we have going on that we're trying to just keep expanding. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you, Bessies. And I feel like the last bit of advice, aside from like that that question of if if young artists, you know, when they're at that wall or or what is the thing, letting the work address your issue, letting the work address your question, like head on. I think it's also just I learned. Um, it's just constantly revamping and committing to your self-care mm-hmm. regimen. I mean, it becomes completely apparent as you age that there's no other way. It's like it, it hits you in the face hard mm-hmm. <laughs> like, or in your whatever body part. Um, but it's I am in a place right now mm-hmm. of really taking really taking care of me first. And it's been I don't think I've ever really done that. I've taken care of the work first and I basically used myself as a. You know, I've just kind of uh, gave over to the work, including admin, including everything. And I feel like I paid a price and I'm undoing that now. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if folks can get into those kinds of practice practices and a commitment to them on just a daily, a daily level, I feel like I actually feel way more... Uh, an ability to be more present in my life and present in my work, taking care of myself. Mm-hmm. So I, so I would just say, like, you know, it, I don't know. Everyone comes to the things at the time they're supposed to, but it's it's real. Like, what's a good way? What do you like? Enjoy meditation or? Um, I would say making it a making it a priority to to actually honor sleep and like honor good practices around sleep. Like kind of just that silly thing of like not getting yourself overstimulated and like getting into something, whether it's admin or whether it's like your Netflix or whether it's your whatever it is. Like kind of listening to myself in this quiet way to the moment of like, "Mm, I'm a little tired. I shouldn't, uh, you know, because for like a year I would like just like eat popcorn and like watch wrestling or eat popcorn and do admin (laughs) right when I was getting tired instead Mm -hmm. of going to bed. It's like, actually, I'm going to freaking go to bed. Like getting, you know, literally like looking at the daily. 
So that, and, but I feel like I came to that also by, and this was a little, this is kind of hard because not everyone can financially do it, but saying, you know, it's worth it for me to put money aside to see somebody myself, mm-hmm. to see a PT, to see, to have a regular practice that's just for me. Like, as you're yeah, saying, you're a teacher yeah. too. For people who teach this stuff, oh. we feel like because we teach it, we're engaged in the ideas. But if you're teaching it and not doing it, you're wearing yourself down big time. So it's like to like really treat yourself like you're the, like you want like the perfect client you want to yeah, have for yourself yeah. for you to be that client for it's yourself. True. So I think getting into a nice situation with a PT mm-hmm. that has gotten me really into minute self-awareness in my body practice. I've carried over that into sleeping and eating. And honestly, I've gotten to a point now where um, I'm not picking up my phone. And I'm not not picking up my phone because I'm making a conscious choice. I'm a little bit reviled by wow. it. I don't want to just sort of with, have my face sticking in there and, and kind of, yeah, going through all of that. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I would just say, like, I think it's I think it's really important for us. It's you know, it's now it's like radical self care is like the, the catchphrase right now, um, but it's super simple. Yeah, and it's gonna look different on everybody. I think it's got to be like daily, and it's got to be kind of like that real minutia stuff: mm-hmm. uh, eating, standing, walking. Yeah, walking. Yeah, yeah, walking. Sure, that's what I'm working on now. Just like walking, and like I tell my students, not like a like turned in or and you know really pure parallel walking. Yeah, it's like makes a big difference. Well, it's yeah on your joints. Completely, Mm -hmm. I feel like at at this at at forty, I'm learning how to stand and how to walk as my as like my really my big practice mm-hmm. and I'm spending money and time on this yeah. and it's almost silly it's like really I'm learning how to stand and walk and it's like oh yes I am mm-hmm. and so stuff like that I feel like I feel like dancers are at the forefront of a lot of this work and I don't think we get enough like credit about it and yeah. I think we've got to just live it and be it and just keep sending that example that not only in our work which is in our in our daily like beings I would say it's a, if, if I can impart that to folks at all ages and at all times to interact with life and with themselves that way, I think it's good. Yeah, and you're working with seniors, so you're seeing, you know, the end result of what, some pe- what that could look like, yeah. too, which is super interesting. Yeah, and all of these things for folks that are teaching, it's the exact, I mean, be actually living the example of it. Truly living it, I feel like we are able to give so much more to our students. And um, it's stuff that literally, I mean, this is our, that's our bank account. Mm-hmm. It's also like the experience <laughs> we have of doing these practices and and growing our own practices like that. So I'm speaking specifically to people who are potentially teachers, but I, I feel like it, you can relate it in, in any field. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like that's your... I don't know. Somehow I feel like for us in this community, that's our bread and butter as much as because sure. right, there's no bread and butter in the damn making of the work. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so yeah, it's like that's, I don't know, that's become my mm-hmm. new, like, I'm not really eating bread and butter anywhere either. So that's my new bread and butter. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. It's been so nice to have you. Thank yeah, you. thank you. This yeah. is wonderful. 
Shade. 